We've got enough for a lot of them. And do it up. This heroin is shit. You want to come? Sheesh. I don't know. Come on. We'll buy these fucking pills, come back over here, shoot the fucking pills. It'll be great. Romance, you know? Fuck it. I have an hour and a half till I have to be back. You'll make it. Rock and Roll McDonald's was just over on Carnegie. A lot of drugs got bought and sold there. Of course, the police knew about it, and there was usually an undercover cop or two at Rock and Roll McDonald's. Still, you had to go and do some dirt there every now and then, because if you didn't, you were fucking nothing. I'd even seen the mayor of Cleveland there before. He had cut me and about five other cars in the drive through line. Cleveland was a small town. We arrived before Big. I had an idea. I said, let's go inside. Really? You want to go inside? I'm tired of waiting in the car all the time, and we've got money today. Whatever you want. Don't order a fucking salad, either. I'm going to order a salad. Okay, but you have to get a milkshake. Deal. We went in and ordered burgers and shakes, french fries, the whole shit. Emily got a salad. We sat down where we could see the cars turning in. Big would be along in a minute. He wasn't the type to keep you waiting. He was good like that. He may have shot some people to death at one time, but that was nothing to do with us, and he had paid his debt to society, so there was nothing more to say about it but thanks for the dope. I only wished he sold heroin. He didn't. He only sold Oxycontin. He had his own script on account of his fibromyalgia, and he could ride around with pills all day with no problems. I saw him turn in. He was driving a white Chevy Blazer. I said to Emily, I'll be right back. I went outside and got in Big's truck. He said, I fucked a pink toe last night. Big was a corpulent man in his sixties. She had a nice ass for a white girl, he said. That's good. Let me get twenty of them. He said, no problem. I had the money. It was Pell Grant money. I counted it out. Big counted out the pills. Big always had a fuckload of pills on him. He was an LPN, and he bought pills from old people. Once I asked him how he knew which old people would sell him their pills, he said it was simple. You asked the poor ones. I said, thanks a lot, Big. I'll be calling you. He said, all right now. I went back inside Rock and Roll McDonald's. I had just spent $900 I couldn't afford to spend, but I had a lot of Oxycontin in my pocket, and it had last Emily and me through to Monday, so I felt all right about everything. Then I became aware of the man who had followed me when I came inside. He sat at the table just past my right shoulder. He was middle-aged, pale as a ghost, wore a turquoise jacket and faded jeans, showed male pattern baldness. He had no food in front of him. Emily saw him, too. She looked at me, and I winked, and she gave no sign, and I was proud of her. She was too cool. She was like a cross between Mary Poppins and Billie Holiday. I said, how's the salad? She said, it's all right. That's good, I said. So what's this shit with this illiterate motherfucker again? It's not fair, he's so fucking arrogant, but he's completely stupid. I don't see how he can be so arrogant when he's that stupid. 
We were talking real loud so the police could hear us, and we kept on talking real loud. We talked about school real loud, talked real loud about the illiterate basketball player and what she was going to write her thesis on and what so-and-so had said about so-and-so. We talked about a girl she worked with who was a piece of shit, things like that, whatever else. We acted like we were just good people out having some lunch. Chapter 55 I was looking for something cheap but good. I thought if I could find that, then it would be all right and we'd manage. That night, Gary got out on me for $180. It was a loss, but not a total disaster. Emily and I had the oxys we picked up earlier from Big, so we had time. As far as the money, I thought $180 was fair to never have to see motherfucking Gary again. I left Ari at the abandoned house. I had said I'd look out for him when Gary came through. That was off now, but I figured he'd be all right. I got home. Emily made me something to eat. She asked me how it had gone with the heroin, and I told her. Fucking goddamn, she said. A hundred and eighty dollars. I said it wasn't like I'd done it on purpose. I know, but baby, you have to see why I'm upset. I've been here working, taking care of the plants, making your cock-sucking dinner, and I need to write a paper while you're out playing the big shot and losing our goddamn money? Did you say big shot? What the fuck is this? Are you a fucking idiot? Is this 19-fucking-70? You think I like this shit? You think I like dragging my fucking dead ass all over town and dealing with these fucks? Baby, I'm serious. We're spending over $1,000 on dope every week. We can't do that. It's unsustainable. It's insane. Okay, so file that under no fucking shit. What am I supposed to do about it? Can I just quit? What about you? You think you can quit? If you can, let me know and we'll quit right now. Won't that be nice? Let's quit right now. You fucking asshole. She started to cry. God damn it. You're crying. Fuck you, you motherfucking asshole. This is serious, and all you are is a motherfucking asshole. Goddamn fucking shit, would you please calm down? Look, shit, please stop crying. I love you. Don't you understand that we're completely fucked? I understand, believe me, I understand, I really do. And you're right, and I'm sorry, I feel it too, it's just... We're so fucked, and I don't know how we're going to get out from under this thing, so all I can do is try and hold things together the way they are. We have so much to do all the time, and it's like, when can we get sick for a month, you know? When will we have time to do that? It's a fucking trap, you know? But we have to, I know. But just not right now. We will, though. We can hang in a little longer. Then we'll get off it. You don't mean that. No, I do mean it. I'd like nothing more, truly. This can't go on forever. That's fucking obvious. So something's going to make us change. We just have to stay together. That's what's important. Please, come here. I held her. It'll be all right. Don't worry about it. You're full of shit. God damn it. I'm sorry, but it's true. I feel fucking horrible. Me too. I fucking hate this shit. We felt so fucking horrible that we had to shoot some more pills. We each did an 80, and then we felt better. It had only cost us $90, and we could make it through the night.
Tomorrow it would only cost another $90 to get us out of bed. We watched TV again. We went to bed late. We heard a plane flying low over the house. There was a plane that flew low over our house sometimes at night. Emily pressed against me. Hmm. How come you never fuck me anymore? She said. I love you too much. You can fuck me in the ass if you want. I'd like that, I said. But my heart's totally broken. So is mine. I know it is. Chapter 56 Ari called Saturday evening and said he was sick. He said, do you have anything? I said, man, what the fuck? He said, please, I'm fucked up. I said, all right, I'm on my way. I drove to the abandoned house and Ari really was sick and it was cold as fuck in that house. Ari looked bad as shit going around wrapped in his sleeping bag like he was, guts all inside out, nose running all over him. I knew what he was going through. I went through it all the time. About every week it would happen to me. That's why I hated seeing other people sick. It reminded me of how fucked I was. I said, what happened to your boy? Shouldn't he be looking out for you? I'm sorry about the other day. He said, I didn't know. Here's an 80. I said, it's for you. You can have it and it's yours and you won't owe me shit. But you have to put me on with somebody. Somebody who's not a fuck. You give me another motherfucker like Gary and I'm going to come back and burn this fucking house down with you in it. Please believe me. And I deal with him directly. I don't deal with you. Make sure he understands that. Okay, whatever, he said. Sure. Thank you. Ari shot up 40 milligrams and was saved. Then he called Manny and Manny said I should come through. He was out in Painesville. I wasn't thrilled about Painesville, but I'd go see him. I met him at a gas station off Route 2. I called him from the parking lot. He said, go inside. He was standing in the chips aisle, acting paranoid as all get out. He was on meth, and he'd been picking holes in his face. He had his hat pulled down and his collar up. He was talking in a whisper, and I couldn't hear him. I got frustrated. I said, look, man, I got this money. Not here. Go over there and leave it by the Doritos. Uh... The Doritos. Man, I'm not going to leave the money by the Doritos. Would you keep your fucking voice down? Everybody can hear you. I rolled up my sleeve and showed him my left arm. My left arm was fucked. My right arm was fucked too, but I only showed him my left arm. I said, look, man, I'm not fucking around. I'm on the level. You're not hearing me. When I got home with the dope, Emily asked me what had taken so long. I said I'd bought a gram from a new dope boy. She asked if he was all right. I said he was all right enough. She was happy about that. We shot some of the dope and it was good. It was cheap for how good it was. Emily and I were very happy. That night we danced in the living room. We danced for something like a half hour straight. We danced like in third-class ballrooms. We just made it up. Let's sing another song, boys. This one has grown old and bitter. It was a good night. It just happened. Chapter 57 
The good thing about Manny was he was a serious dope fiend and he was up against it just as bad as you were, so he didn't make you wait. He'd even drive you with him to get the dope if need be. There were a lot of people in Painesville who wanted Manny dead, so he had to move to the city. And that was good, too, because I'd hated going all the way out to fucking Painesville. He had a room at the Euclid Lodge. He was staying there with his boyfriend, an ice monster named Chauncey. Chauncey was ten years older than Manny, and he said he was from Florida. Manny said Chauncey's dad had been a congressman or something like that. Manny said his own family bred horses. I come from a very wealthy family he said, but I'm cut off. I didn't care. Yet, it was important to Manny that I believe him, and when he was out in Painesville, he had driven me past a horse farm and said it was the horse farm his grandfather owned. It was dark, and I didn't see any horses. Manny definitely was a police informant, and a lot of people went to jail, like Ari. Manny sold him a scale with dope all over it. He said he'd sell Ari the scale for ten dollars. That was a good deal, so Ari bought it, and five minutes later he was getting arrested for paraphernalia and possession with intent to distribute. This was a shitty thing that Manny did to Ari. Sometimes when Manny needed to get somebody fucked off, the police would raid his room at the Euclid Lodge and strip-search everybody and take one or two kids to jail. But Manny and Chauncey didn't ever go to jail. The police had a room directly across the hall from Manny. One time I had parked and I was walking up to go in and a policeman called down to me from the second floor. Hey, you left your window open, he said. I turned around and looked and saw that I had and I waved to the policeman and said thanks. He said, you're welcome. The worst thing about Manny being a police informant was he would get on with some good heroin and then it wasn't long before he'd have to give up the source. Like there were these two guys who had this tar that smelled like rotting fish and got you higher than fuck's sake for a hundred dollars a gram. Your ears would ring like a motherfucker, but we weren't getting it two weeks when Manny had to turn those guys in. And I said to myself, you really ought to get away from this shit while you still can. And I said to myself, duly noted. The problem with Emily and me was we were killing one another. Apart, we probably could have managed, but the two of us together was a form of suicide. It took teamwork to get your life fucked up so bad, but we couldn't let go. Emily had been giving me a hard time for a few days then. She was real pissed at me because I got ripped off for $600. It was something Manny had put me on to, and I should have known better. I should have known there was no such thing as a $600 ounce of cocaine. But I was a greedy fucker, and I thought my ship had come in. I could have flipped those ounces for $900 all day, and people would have loved me for it. Then I figured out what it really was, and the money was gone, and there was nothing to be done. It was touching how Manny kept on like he hadn't known. He had even cried real tears, but I was still out the $600. Emily said, you're killing us, baby. I said, God damn, would you shut the fuck up? It was a terrible mistake to say this. She got to screaming at me then. She'd scream like a great bird sometimes. She'd grow wings and fly around the house screaming like that. She'd be up around the ceiling screaming. It was really awful. It was like arguing with the pterodactyl. You could do nothing. I said, Jesus, please. 
But it wasn't ever over quick once she got going. She kept on. She blamed me for everything. She had a point, but it wasn't like I ever saw her quitting dope. Say we tried to quit. Say we'd had enough of spending all our money and having a lot of shitty motherfuckers try and get over on us. Say we'd said fuck it, and the weekend came and we had time to get sick. We might go a little while, maybe make it to Sunday night, make it with all the fever and the puke and the wishes we were dead. Then one of us was sure to say to the other, you know, we're doing pretty good. I think we deserve a little break from this. And the other was sure to say, yeah, that's what I was just thinking. Plus, we have to take care of the plants. That's right, the plants. I'm going to call Big. Yeah, do that, but only get two. Okay, I'll ask him for four, though. We have to go to school tomorrow. You're right, better get four. We'd be throwing up when we said all this. But already we would be feeling better. There was a hopeful urgency in those moments, and life was beautiful. Big said, come on. We drove across town in our pajamas. It was raining. We had enough for five, $225, and we parked somewhere off of Fulton. Big was on time. He pulled up in the white blazer. Big always came through in the clutch, and he didn't treat us like fiends. Most of the time they do. I got in his truck. How do you do, Big? He said, what's good? I gave him the cellophane from my cigarettes. You got five of those? I said. He counted five. Haven't been seeing you as much as I usually do, he said. Yeah, I guess not. He handed me the cellophane back. I folded it and put it in my pocket. He said, you've been fucking with that heroin. Yeah, that's sort of what it looks like. Uh-huh. You know I don't mess with that shit. I just fuck with the pills because I know what I'm getting. I know what I'm selling. No problems, no riding dirty. No scales or any of that bullshit. Nobody running a game on me. I see what you mean. All right. I'll catch you later. All right. Big drove off and I walked back to the car. Emily had the kit laid out on the center console, the spoons, the needles, everything. And we shot up and we were right as the rain. We went home. It was the middle of the night. Emily and I were in the basement, and she'd filled the garbage can with water. I said, how long have the plants been flowering? She said, five weeks. I looked at the instructions that had come with the nutrients kit. I'd always thought the nutrients kit was a scam. I said, we should just use fucking miracle Grow." That's what I've been saying, she said. We were in the room we called the laundry room. That was where the sink was, next to the washer and dryer. The dryer had been broken for a while. We couldn't get the dryer fixed because of the grow room. We used a clothesline instead to dry our clothes, and our laundry doing had suffered. There was a 600-watt high-pressure sodium light hooked up in the corner. That was for the cuttings and for the mother. The mother had been cut all to pieces. We'd taken a hundred cuttings off her. We kept a mound of leftover potting soil in the opposite corner. We mixed our own potting soil. We had such millipedes in the house you wouldn't believe. Emily checked the pH. We needed acidity. I turned to get it. She said, not that one. I said, I know. I took the other one. How much do you think we need? She said, here, I'll do it. She did, and she checked the parts per million, too. 
She told me what they were, and they were all right, but I didn't know what they meant. We picked up the garbage can and carried it into the next room. It was a finished room, carpeted and drywalled and all that shit. It had a big stupid fucking tent in it. Inside the tent was mylar or something else that was like mylar. I didn't care if it was mylar, if it wasn't, just I didn't know, and it bothered me sometimes that I didn't know things I should probably know. I knew that I had glued the mylar to the walls in the corner of the laundry room, and I thought it was probably different stuff, but I wasn't sure. It was a fancy tent. The only thing that made the tent not completely fucking stupid was it was easy to hang the lights off the frame. It wasn't my idea to buy the tent. All I did was set the thing up. It was Roy who'd said we needed the tent. He'd been our partner in the grow room when we started. Then he stole from us, and he wasn't our partner anymore, and we thought he was a real piece of shit. Still, I had this fucking tent, and I didn't know how I was ever going to be rid of it. We only had two 1,000-watt lights. There had been three, but we had to give one to Roy when we wanted him gone. We were getting a pound per light, and we averaged $4,500 per pound, selling it off in QPs and ounces. It took about three months to grow the shit, one month to get the plants up to the right size, two months for the flowering cycle. The lights were on 24-7 in the first month and 12 on, 12 off the last two months. This used a lot of electricity, and we had to run the lights off ballasts that ran off a sub-panel. We had made the sub-panel and wired it to the breaker box. We'd had to disconnect the doorbell to make space for it. We had bought all the wire and the conduit and the panel and everything at the Severance Home Depot. I'd been trying to figure out what kind of wire we were supposed to buy, and we were all three of us fucked up on heroin and Roy was being a prick. I'd try and say something, and he'd have his fancy little smirk like he always had on his face, and he kept looking at Emily and rolling his eyes, and she was rolling her eyes. She had taken his side. I couldn't believe her. She had taken the side of this bitch, and it was one of those situations where you wanted to kill a guy, but you couldn't because you were at Home Depot and there was a law against it and you needed money for heroin and your money was in this thing and it didn't matter because she'd done what she'd done already and everything was fucked forever and there'd be no changing that. I thought, she's a horrible cunt whom I love. And later, when Roy had stolen from us, Emily was real bent out of shape about it. She'd said, why is he doing this? He's such a fucking asshole. And I heard something in her voice then. And I didn't wonder at that. Chapter 58 Manny owed Cookie $600 for the dope Cookie'd fronted him. But Manny didn't have any $600 and he wasn't going to have it. What Manny usually did in these situations was get the dope boy fucked off but he waited too long. Sunday morning, I got a call from Manny. He said he had to talk to me about something important, and he said we needed to talk in person. He didn't sound right. I was thinking maybe he was setting me up to get me fucked off, but I needed to buy some heroin, and Manny had said it was real important, so I said okay. After all, I liked Manny. Manny was a human being. He was a fuck, but he was a human being. I said to Emily... You better stay here. I might go to jail. She said, what's going on? I said I didn't know. Probably nothing. When I got the Richmond Mall, I called Manny. He said to stay where I was parked. He came around in a blue Ford Explorer I hadn't seen him in before. There was another guy driving. Manny was in the passenger seat. 
They parked in the spot next to me and I got in with them. Manny was wearing a Yankees cap pulled down real low, but I could see his face was lumped up pretty well, and that was too bad for Manny, because the driver looked like Muhammad Ali circa the Cassius Clay era. Manny said, This is Cookie. Cookie said I could buy dope from him now. I said, Okay. I had enough for a gram, $120. So I bought one gram and took it home and shot it with Emily. It was decent, not great. My phone rang. It was Cookie. He said, How was it? I said it was decent. Manny got Cookie fucked off two weeks later. Cookie tried to get away and he took the police on a chase. It wouldn't have been a big deal except that Cookie still had Manny in the car with him. That made it kidnapping. I got a call from Cookie's brother, Pistol. He said he would sell me heroin, so I was all right. Then Pistol got himself fucked off shooting at Manny, and I got a call from Black. Then Pistol was out on house arrest, and I was supposed to go through him again. All this didn't take two months to happen. The house was in the suburbs on a street not far from mine. It was a nice street, plenty of big trees, oaks, I think. And Pistol would have cars full of dope fiends waiting out there, cars full of dope fiends like Emily and me. Often he would take hours before he was ready to serve us some dope, and we'd say, This guy's such a fucking asshole, it's amazing. And we'd all be sick and making sad faces until he called us one by one and had us pull up into the driveway. He'd serve us from the side door of the house so as not to set his ankle bracelet off. I didn't like going over there, especially after the surveillance truck appeared. It was parked a few driveways up from pistols. You might even see the police in it, see them getting in and out or see them doing whatever. They definitely didn't give a fuck if you saw them, and they saw me. They saw my plates, all of that. But it couldn't be helped. I had to go where the heroin was. One morning, the police raided the house and took Pistol back to jail. The whole family, the mom, the little kids, everyone who wasn't in jail, had been there when it happened. They were upset. I didn't know what all had happened when I got a call from Black that afternoon. He said for me to meet him over on Belmar. He was standing out there on the sidewalk waiting with his older brother, Raul. I recognized Raoul because I'd seen him before and he was a big smiling type of motherfucker and he had a big shiny watch so he was easy to recognize. Raoul looked five years older than he was. He was only 23. Anyway, I thought I was just driving out there to buy some heroin and I didn't know why they were standing out there waiting. Usually when we met up that way, we did transactions car to car and they weren't ever on time. I parked at the curb and got out and walked over to where they were. I asked Black how he was doing, and Black told me what had happened that morning. I said, shit, that's too bad. Your brother's a good dude. I hope he's all right. Black looked at Raoul. Black was making sad faces, being all dramatic about things. He was just a kid. I think he was 20. He said, what I want to know is why they were saying your name. Raoul was standing behind me. I said to Black, what are you talking about? They said a white boy who drives a black Ford. Dude, what's that mean? Of course they're going to know that shit. 
There's been a surveillance truck parked outside your house for the last two weeks. I told you that. Probably everybody else did too. So you've got a surveillance truck parked outside your house and you're running it like a trap house in the middle of the fucking suburbs. And when the police kick your door in, you want to say it's my fault? What are you, nuts? They said your name. They could get that off the plates. They didn't say your government name. Then it occurred to me. Oh, I said. Oh, what? You know the Dale Jr. looking motherfucker, short, red hair, freckles, calls himself Kmart, buys dope off you. He came up to my car and talked to me the other day when I was out on your street waiting on your brother. He knocked on my window and started talking to me about dope and everything else, and how he'd been a mule running dope out of New York and some bullshit. He wouldn't shut the fuck up. He tried to get my phone number, and I told him I didn't have a phone. I got a bad feeling from the guy. He was real fucking nosy, you know? And I didn't really say shit to him, but he did get my name. I imagine he's the one who told it to the police. Apart from that, I don't know shit about what happened this morning. Black looked at Raul. Raul said, I believe him. Black said, You don't know how much sense you just made. I need some heroin. I have to get it out of the car. I've got enough for two. I'll put you together. I drove home. It wasn't quite three in the afternoon. Emily was watching Springer. We split the heroin up, and I told her what all had happened. The heroin was okay. The two grams were light. Emily said, Why would the police do that to you? You could have been hurt. I said, This may come as a surprise to you, but the police think we deserve to die. I called Black. I said, this was light. He said, really? Yeah, by four. He said, I got you later. I went back out to meet up with Black, and I was waiting in the car again outside his house. I was glad the surveillance truck was gone. Raul came out, and he walked up to the car, and I rolled the window down. I thought he was going to drop the heroin off, but he didn't. He said, no, Black would bring it out in a second. I said, all right. He said, hey, you know somebody I can get an ounce of coke from? I said I might know somebody, but I had to call and check. Yeah, do that, he said. I got on the phone and called Mike, a.k.a. Pills and Coke. I told him what was up. Mike said, who is this guy? I said it was a guy who sells heroin. Is he black? Yeah. Shit, I don't know. Well, he's right here. What do you want me to tell him? Is he all right? Has been so far, yeah. He said his own? Uh-huh. Can I talk to him? I can give you his number. Okay. I'll text it to you. I got off the phone and said to Raul, he's going to call you. Let me get your number. I'm going to text it to him. He said, all right. Black came out to the car. He gave Raul a look like, what are you doing? Raul smiled and said, what? Black didn't smile and he shook his head. We traded the money and the heroin. I had a scale and I weighed out what he'd given me to see that it was right. I asked Black if he still wanted to buy a QP. I said I was still holding one for him if he wanted it. He said to bring it by next time and he'd take a look at it. I could tell by the way he said it that he wasn't about to buy shit. But I said I'd bring it anyway. I felt like I had accomplished something. 
I had another number I could call now, if and when I ever got hard up to find some dope, and I'd done Mike a good turn. Mike had been fucked up for a minute. I'd paid him back in full for the contents of his safe, so it wasn't like it was my fault. Mike's problem was he'd got himself fucked up on the pills and coke he was supposed to be selling, and had got to be a dope fiend almost as bad as I was. He was even getting his pills from me now. He didn't let it go to his head, though. He was still arrogant as fuck. So, of course, the heroin didn't last us very long at all. It was all gone a little after we woke up the next day, and in the afternoon we were back waiting again outside the house on a nice street with the big oak trees, and there was Raoul again, and Raoul came up to the car. I said, Emily, this is Raoul. Raoul, this is Emily. Emily said hi. Raoul said hi. I asked Raoul how it had gone with Mike. He said it had gone well, the coke was good. He said he would hit Mike up for some more. You know how when you're cooking it up with the baking soda and it sizzles? He said. I didn't know, but I played along. Did you bring some of that loud with you? I said, yeah. He said, let me see it. I gave him a bud to look at. Oh, that's nice. It's called grapefruit, I said. It's got a really good taste to it. I might have to buy some of this. Black came up to the car and looked at Raoul again with the same look as from the day before, and Raoul smiled again and went back inside. Emily said to Black, Your brother's nice. He said, Raoul's some shit. I said, You want to look at this QP? He said he'd have a look. I handed him the bag and he opened it up. He said, So this is that gas, huh? Emily said, Yeah, it's gas. He said it looked real good, but he couldn't buy any just this minute. Maybe later. Chapter 59 The story of being a dope fiend is people will lie to your face and you can't call them on it, lest they not give you what you need when they get around to it. Saturday was no different. Emily and I woke and shot up the last of our dope, and the day began. A day didn't begin until we had run out of dope and it was time to get some more. How much money do we have? She said, $900. That's not bad. I called Black, but he didn't pick up. I sent him a text. He texted back saying he wasn't together yet. Emily said, we could call Big. Yeah, maybe we should do that. It was tricky having a little money. You might think you could buy a quarter ounce of heroin to last you a few days, but that would be a mistake. If you bought three grams of heroin, you might get one gram of heroin and two grams of cut. If you bought seven grams of heroin, you might get one gram of heroin and six grams of cut. So when you had some money, the best thing to do was hold off. You couldn't go wrong buying pills, though. Pills didn't get stepped on, and Big wasn't a fuck. We went to see Big, and we bought ten pills and came home by which time it was just around two in the afternoon and the day looked like it would be all right when all was said and done. Then my phone rang. It was Mike. I said, hey, Mike. He said, do you have a gun? I said, no. He said, fuck. I said, what's up? You don't have a gun. No, why? I just got robbed. You just got robbed? Yeah, your boy set me up. Just now. Yes. Shit, man. I need to get my car. I left my car there. You don't have a gun. No, but I've got a bulletproof vest if you want that. I'm on my way over. I thought you didn't have a car. I'm driving Rachel's car. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'll be here. 
Rachel was Mike's girlfriend. They lived together. They slept in separate rooms, though, which I thought was odd. Rachel was the type of girl you wanted to sleep with. Maybe one of them had sleep apnea, I don't know. But I felt bad about Mike. Mike was getting the treatment. The world was treating Mike like a fucking loser. And he was new to it, so it was harder on him. Harder on him than it was for the likes of... me. And I felt bad. I was the one who had put him on with Raul, and now Raul had robbed him. Raul was black, and Mike didn't like dealing with black guys. He didn't like dealing with black guys because he thought that you couldn't trust them. Namely, he thought that they would rob you. I said to Emily, Mike's coming over. He says he just got robbed. He's got to get his car. I'm going to take him. What? Mike got robbed? By who? By Raul, I think. What a piece of shit. I'm not sure, but I think that's what happened. Mike's on his way. We'll find out from him. He's coming here right now? Yeah, like he'll be here in a couple seconds. I went and got the bulletproof vest. It was in the closet on the stairs. An IBA, ACU pattern. It had once belonged to the Ohio National Guard, but it didn't anymore. There was also a Kevlar helmet in the closet, but I thought that was probably a bit much. Mike was outside. Emily let him in. I said, Mike, you all right? He said, fuck no. What happened? I got fucking robbed. I know, but what happened? Raul told me his boy wanted to buy an ounce of coke. I drove out to meet him, and the motherfucker pulled a gun on me. Was Raul there? No, just his boy. I'm sorry, man, it's fucking bullshit. My car's still up there, I have to go get it. Yeah, I got you. I'll take you up there right now. All right. You think I should wear that vest? I don't know. Wear it if you want to. Let's shoot up first before we go. Hey, Emily? Yeah. I'm gonna spot Mike and 80. Don't be mad at me. That's fine. Mike said thanks. I appreciate it. And we shot up. All three of us did. We had to because Mike had just got robbed. He got robbed for an ounce of coke, and that was about an $800 to $1,000 loss. The least we could do was we could all get high. So we did and I drove Mike over to where his car was. His car was parked outside some apartments, a blue mercury. All the doors were open. This was just north of Mayfield on Coventry, a little short of East Cleveland. It was a pretty lame place to have to say you got robbed. This wasn't exactly the terror dome. Two young girls were jumping rope. Mike got out and hurried over to his car, and we got out of there. Mike had the bulletproof vest on. We looked like some dorks. When we got back, I fronted Mike another pill, and he went home. I called Black, and he answered. He said he had picked up something, and I could meet him if I wanted, so I said I was on my way. I bought a gram. I didn't bother calling Raul. I asked Black, and Black said he hadn't known anything about it. I didn't believe him, but it didn't matter. Chapter 60 in these years, I didn't sleep, and when I slept, I dreamt of violence. I dreamt of Iraq. I dreamt of movies I'd seen. I would die in my dreams and not wake up. I'd be dead in my dreams and then die some more, and when I woke up, I was tired. No matter what else, I was unhappy. Days came like dead moths on the bathroom counter. I got a letter from some people who said I'd fucked up school so bad that I had to give all the money back for the last semester. They said I had to give the money back right away, so I had no choice and went and saw my parents about it. 
They gave me the money. Still, I didn't ever have money. I could get more money when school started up again, but I'd have to be real careful, and I didn't think I could be careful because there was always so much to do, and I couldn't get it all done and be careful. Emily said we should get a dog, and we did. We went to the animal shelter in Brook Park and got a dog for $60. It was a girl dog. Emily named her Lavinia. Lavinia was a mix of some kinds of hounds, and she had a brown-gray coat that shone, and she was very timid, so we felt for her. And we said, we will protect her, and she will be fine from now on forever. Emily said we had to quit dope, and I said I would quit dope, and she said she would too. I went to the doctor, a psychiatrist. I told him I was fucked up. I had been to see a psychiatrist before. That had been at the VA years ago after Zoe left. I'd seen this psychiatrist a couple months until one day I'd had to take Roy to the Bureau of Motor Vehicles all the way on the west side because Roy was living on the west side, and I had forgot about an appointment I had till about half an hour before. I called the VA, and they didn't answer the phone, so I left a message and said I had to cancel the appointment. When I called back to reschedule, they didn't ever answer the phone, so I left messages for a while. It was three years. They still hadn't returned my calls, and Roy and I weren't even friends anymore. Now I went to see this other doctor, Dr. Kaufman. I could see him for free because the government was giving him money to study on people like me. He was over at the college hospital, and he didn't want me to say anything but tell him numbers and go home and write numbers down one through ten all hours of the day and night, write these numbers down and keep track of them like they meant something. And I didn't write the numbers down like I was supposed to, and I felt like a goddamn criminal. When Emily went to detox, I was supposed to not do heroin. I was supposed to stay home and get sick. Emily had signed up for the detox. James Lightfoot had told her about it. He had told Emily that there was a detox at a hospital downtown that was free the first time you went. The state of Ohio paid for it. So she went to the detox, and I stayed home that weekend with the dog, and the dog hadn't been fixed yet, and she was going around in a diaper and making sad faces because she missed Emily. And I think I meant to get sick, but I fucked up and shot dope all that weekend. James Lightfoot came over and we shot dope. James Lightfoot was still a friend of mine. He bought most all the weed that Emily and I grew, and he'd track it out and sell it. Actually, he was a lot of help to us sometimes. He was good at keeping up with things when he wasn't too fucking strung out. But he was still undeniably fucked in the head with the sadness and had the death wish bad enough that it was a mistake to have him around when you were trying not to shoot dope. So what happened was James Lightfoot and I shot some dope and I didn't get sick like I was supposed to have. This was more fucking up. I went Monday and got Emily from the detox. We stopped on the way back and bought some heroin. Things went pretty much back to normal and Emily was pissed at me because we were still on heroin and she said it was my fault. One morning the landlord called and said he was coming over with an inspector from the city to inspect the house. Emily asked him when he was coming over. He said, two hours. She said, okay. The problem was the grow room. The plants were just beginning to flower. We had to tear them down. 
We had to take everything apart. There was nowhere to take the plants, and they were too big and too many to hide, so I had to hack them into pieces and stuff them into garbage bags and put all the soil in garbage bags and stuff the garbage bags wherever they'd fit in the car while Emily was taking apart all the hardware. Then we took down the tent and scraped off the mylar that was glued to the walls. It was a motherfucking disaster, and it made it so we were even more fucked, but the landlord was none the wiser, so there was that at least. Black went to jail. I was coming out of the psychiatrist's office one evening when it was raining, and I got a call from Raul. He told me. He said it was nothing major, and Black could probably get out on bail in a few days or maybe a week or two. But he said he'd sell me heroin until then if I wanted some heroin, and I said I'd like to meet up with him right away. He had me meet him off of St. Clair. He was a while getting there. When he finally showed up, it was almost ten o'clock. He said that he was sorry, but he had been riding with his uncle, and his uncle had got pulled over and the police had given them a hard time. I gave him some money, and he gave me a bag of dope. The bag of dope was wrapped in a piece of white plastic torn off a shopping bag, it looked like. I drove home. Emily and I were going to split the heroin up. I caught a smell off the bag of heroin, and I told Emily, and she smelled it too, and we agreed that it smelled like Raul ate a lot of fruit snacks. After we shot the dope, I called Raul. He asked what I thought of the heroin. I said the heroin was fine, and I asked him if he always was going to stick the heroin up his ass before he sold it to me. He laughed. Dr. Kaufman had made an appointment for me with a drug counselor at the hospital. So I went to that, but the drug counselor's office wasn't well marked at all, so I couldn't find it, and I walked around the hospital in circles looking for it. When I found that I was 15 minutes late, but it wasn't my fault. They kept me waiting over an hour. Then I went through the whole thing with the nurse, and she took my blood and asked me questions, and she was very nice, but the doctor, the drug counselor or whatever, was a dyed-in-the-wool motherfucker. I told him I didn't have any confidence in suboxones on account of they didn't ever work on me at all. I tried them all the time. I'd get sick, and I'd take a lot of them so as not to be sick, and I could take four or even five, dissolving them under my tongue one after the other, and they wouldn't help me for shit. I was telling the truth, but he said I was a liar. He asked me what I was seeing Dr. Kaufman for. I said I thought I was seeing Dr. Kaufman for PTSD, and he asked what could I have PTSD from, and I said I'd been in Iraq. He asked me when. I said I'd got there in 05 and left in 06. He said the war had been over by then, so I left because I couldn't stay there. And I remembered how when I was in Iraq, I used to get chest pains, how I'd leave the wire all the fucking time and I'd started getting chest pains that would drop me to the floor like a heart attack and I couldn't breathe. And then Shu took me to see the PA at the battalion aid station, Captain, I forgot his fucking name, and the PA, not a doctor, mind you, but he acted enough like one, wouldn't see me, and he told Shu to tell me to come back at sick call the next morning, but I didn't. I just had the chest pains instead. Normally, I wasn't around when they did sick call. Normally, I was outside the wire, maybe getting fucked up by a bomb or shot or something. I was nothing then, and I'm still nothing. Chapter 61 What ended up happening was Emily and I were fighting a lot. She was blaming me for everything that was wrong with her, and I wanted her to shut up sometimes. 
We were both doing as much dope as we could get our hands on, and we would be high as shit, and I'd nod out in my chair a little and drop lit cigarettes in my lap. Then she'd come downstairs with her video camera and start chasing me around the house going, Look at you! You're so fucking high, it's disgusting! And I'd say, What the fuck? And she was high too, and what did she mean? One thing really fucking us up was the oxys were running out. Soon, we wouldn't be able to get them anymore. It wasn't Big's fault. Big would always get oxys as long as they were making them. The problem was, they weren't making them like they used to. They had started making them so they were like hard rubber and you couldn't crush them up. And if you did somehow, they'd gel up when you put water on them, and it made it so you couldn't shoot them. There were still some old ones going around, but they were running out fast. Emily and I couldn't do shit with anything we couldn't shoot. Soon, we were going to be stuck with just heroin, and Big didn't sell heroin, and we would be at the mercy of some dope boys whom you couldn't count on for shit, and we would get sick a lot more. School started in fall, and I would go to class as much as I could because I had to, and I had some luck with that. Emily always had to stay at school all day because she taught a remedial writing class for the undergraduates in addition to going to her own classes, and her last class didn't get over with until 8 at night on Tuesday and Thursday. So I spent much of the days at home alone and not doing the things I was supposed to be doing. I'd get so depressed I couldn't move. Emily would get to telling me I was a worthless fuck, and she was a cunt for that. But she had her reasons, I guess. All the same, I didn't like it, and it didn't help me. There was a girl in one of my classes, and we had talked before, and I knew some about her. I knew that she had a kid and that things were tough for her. She wanted me to help her get some heroin. I didn't want to because she had a kid and all that. It seemed like the worst thing you could do to give some kid's mom heroin. But she asked me a few times, so I brought her back from school one day, and we got some heroin, and we shot up in the kitchen... And she said that she liked me, and I said that I liked her too, and that I hoped she'd find somebody who'd love her like she deserved to be loved. Then she kissed me. I'd been hoping she wouldn't, but I liked it. It was good to be kissed by her. It was good to be kissed by someone else. Her tits were hard, and she pressed against me and grabbed my cock. I tried to take her pants off, but she stopped me and said she was on the rag. I said, fuck. She said, let me lick it. I didn't want that because I hadn't taken a shower in almost three days and I hadn't cut my pubic hair in a long time. I tried to take her pants off again and she said again that she was on the rag and she kept saying, let me lick it. And she got on her knees in front of me and started fucking with my belt. There was nothing I could do, so I put my cock in her mouth. I could smell my cock and I knew it must have tasted real bad, but what was done was done and I came and it came out real hard and some of it bounced off her teeth and went up her nose. She wiped the cum off and said she had cum up her nose and I felt good about that and bad about that at the same time. We didn't say much after this and I drove her back to school. It was the last time we saw each other outside of school, and when we saw each other at school after that, we didn't look at one another. And I felt bad about this, about how life was just slow death and getting your stupid cock sucked at random when you weren't ready, and how it was regrets and forgetting everything you ever had believed in. Mm. 
part six, a come down. Chapter 62 How do you get to be a scumbag? I got to be a scumbag because I needed money and because I was hanging around dope boys too much. The night wasn't especially good. We drove around all night, Raul and Ryder and I. We were looking for a certain car. We were going to rob the guy who owned the car, but we did never find him. We went to his house. Ryder said, he's not here. Raul said, are you sure this is his house? Ryder said, I'm positive. But he said it like he wasn't positive. Ryder had a scar, a crescent that traced the left side of his face. It wasn't from an accident. Someone had cut him. I bought heroin from Ryder when there was nothing else. Ryder was bad news. He had asked me if I could kill somebody for him. He needed me to kill somebody because he owed a lot of money and it was the best way to clear his debt. Ryder was in trouble. He didn't tell me that part. He just said I'd make ten racks if I killed this guy. Anyway, I'd said no. Ryder was full of shit. He was the type who'd lie to you about what time of day it was and for no reason. He was the type to get people into fucked up situations and hope that they'd perform miracles for him. Ryder did never carry his own weight, but he was Raoul's boy, and Raoul would believe him like he believed him about this car. Eventually, I got tired of it. I said to Raoul, this probably isn't happening. Raoul said, this is some bullshit. Ryder said, man, this nigga's got at least a hundred racks. But we were done listening to Ryder. We dropped Ryder off. I was burned out, and I felt like shit. I hated the way I felt. I said to Raoul, what about the other thing? I can definitely do that. He said, yeah, let's do that. I said, all you have to do is drive. I'll do all the work. He said, okay. It was a quarter to six in the morning, and I was about to be sick. I had no heroin, and I had no money, and I owed Raul $600. He didn't want to front me anymore. I said, you know I can't do shit if I'm sick. He had me take him to a trap house. He came out with a gram. He said that was it, though. I dropped him off at his girl's house. I said I'd call him in the afternoon. Then I went home. It was a quarter to seven. Snow was on the ground. It was old snow, dirty and iced over. Sometimes I'd forget what month it was. Emily and Lavinia were in bed. I woke them. It was warm upstairs. My heart ached. It was good. Emily got up. Lavinia went back under the covers. She liked it there. She liked to sleep in the morning. Emily and I shot up and got ready to go. I dropped Emily off. She said she wouldn't mind taking the bus home. I'd said I had to go to my parents' house for something. She was fine with that. Maybe my mom would give me some groceries to bring home. Maybe my dad would give me some folding money. I parked and I went to class. I wanted to feel as normal as I could feel for a few hours. I wanted to pretend I was polite society. I wasn't supposed to meet up with Raoul till three o'clock. I got home at half past noon and I let Lavinia out. I'd been by the Wendy's and I'd bought her a cheeseburger. She wolfed the cheeseburger down in about two seconds and then she looked at me like, where can we get another one of those? 
She reminded me of myself, insatiable. I shot the last of my dope. I smoked a cigarette. It had been about twenty hours since Black had called. He'd said I was some shit. I'd said, huh? He said, you some shit. Hello, Black? You gonna make me put my black mask on? What? You gonna make me put my black mask on? I can't hear what you're saying. I'm gonna put my black mask on. What did I do? Pay me, motherfucker. Emily was watching TV. She said, who was that? I said it was black. What did he say? I lit a cigarette and sat down. What did he say? He said he's gonna put his black mask on. What? That's what I said. She kicked the end table. Suck my dick, dude. Shit, I don't know. That's what he said. He said he was gonna put his black mask on. What does that mean? It doesn't mean anything. He's a fucking bitch. Raul called at half past three. I was ready, and I went out. I felt good. I was nervous, but not nervous in a bad way. I felt alive, that was all. We met up a little after four. Raul had borrowed his cousin's car, a nondescript car a few years old, something gray and Japanese, temp plates. It was perfect. Raul was driving. We passed the bank I was supposed to rob. From the street, you could see inside through the front window. The location didn't seem too bad, but when we went past the bank, I saw something I didn't like. I said, this one's no good. Raul said he thought it was a good bank to rob. I said, the tellers are behind bulletproof glass. It won't work. Grab one of the customers, he said. How about I grab your fucking grandmother? Let's find a different one. We drove around and looked for something better. Then the banks were closing. I said, fuck. Raul said he knew a bank that stayed open late. It doesn't close till seven, he said. I said, all right. The bank was in a shopping center. It was an older shopping center, and I thought that was good because the bank probably didn't have shit for security. The doors were old. The cameras were probably shitty. I said, this one's good. Let's wait till there's no people. We waited. I was ready to go as soon as it was empty. I didn't want people in the way. I was wearing a hoodie and a knit hat. Raul had brought them for me. I had a can of bear spray. The bear spray was Emily's. She had it from when she'd been out in the woods in Washington State. I borrowed it without asking. I had never robbed a bank before. I didn't know what to expect, but I was fine with it. Just I didn't want people in the way. I don't imagine that anyone goes in for robbery if they're not in some kind of desperation. Good or bad people has nothing to do with it. Plenty of purely wicked motherfuckers won't ever rob shit. With robbery, it's a matter of abasement. Are you abased? Careful, then. You might rob something. I owed some dope boys some money. I didn't give a fuck. Fuck Black and his fucking money. He could get it how he lived. I was only ever afraid of one thing in my life, that I wouldn't be able to get heroin. I wasn't ever more than 12 hours from total collapse, and there was the desperation. I was compromised. Raul went to take a piss. He went around the side of the building and pissed and he came back. It's twenty to seven, he said. You're right, I said. I'm gonna do it now, fuck it. There were three people working in the bank and there was one customer. The customer was a woman. 
There were two tellers who were young women and a manager who was an older man, and he was fat and just looked like shit, like a sixty-something-years-old baby. Suspenders, you name it. He sat at a desk in an office. One wall of the office was glass, and the manager watched me, and I could feel he was sure of why I was there. I had the hoodie up, and I was wearing my hat real low, but he didn't want to be sure. It was snowing outside. Maybe I was just cold. I went to the desk where they had the pens and the deposit slips. I took a deposit slip and wrote on it. I wrote the word fuck about ten times, slowly. I was waiting for the customer to leave. She was a small woman, mid to late forties, a black wool coat. She had shoulder-length black hair with gray in it and was someone's mother. She left. I walked up to the counter and gave the note to the teller on the left. She didn't need to read the note. She got the money out, and the other teller was looking at me like, aren't you going to rob me too? I probably should have on account of I'd made this much trouble already. But I didn't. I didn't really want to rob anyone. I just wanted some heroin. I wanted it to be over. I walked fast out the door and got in the car and lay down in the back seat. I said, I did it, go. Raul took off. Sirens were coming on, but we had blended into the traffic and we'd already got away. I put the temp plate back in the window. The street was a river of light. We split the money. He dropped me off at my car. I said, I need some dope. He said he didn't have any. I'll call you in a minute, he said. He called ten minutes later. Call Black, he said. I bought three grams from Black and paid him the money I owed and drove home. Emily was back at home already. I showed her the heroin and the money. I said, I robbed the bank. She said, I thought you were acting strange this morning. I said I'd felt funny all day. Chapter 63 Emily was in the other room on the mattress on the floor beneath the window, with the blankets twisted and disheveled. We couldn't be next to one another on account of our kicking and sweating and our throwing up into little plastic trash cans. I had to get up and do something. My legs were damp. I stood in front of the kitchen sink for 45 minutes drinking water so I'd have something in my stomach apart from bile and snot, and down went the water and up came the water, part bile, part snot now, and didn't let go of my lip and hung down to the drain. It had been more than 24 hours since our last shots. All our credit was used up. We needed money. We were fucked. When she moaned, though it hurt me and I could have cried and it would have cost me nothing, the moan was beautiful, and I felt an urge to run to her when she moaned and said fuck like she did. Her bottom lip was perfectly shaped, the beads of sweat were perfect. Her eyes closed and her shirt off, her pajamas stuck to her, her scent that was all over. A strand of hair against her cheek to the corner of her mouth we came, in seconds. When you were sick, that was all it took. I had to figure out what I was going to wear. I left the house in some gray slacks and an Oxford shirt that were from the thrift store and a baseball hat my mom had given me and some phony eyeglasses and a peacoat. I brought a little green plastic trash can with me to throw up in. I was feeling melancholy, but it was a calming melancholy. Life was fucked, but I was good. This was what I knew. 
And fate was fate, my heart was full, and life was precious. We had had a break from the snow and you could see the dormant grass. The day was cold, but it was forgiving. It was time to commit a robbery. I drove by the bank. There was a police car parked across the street, but the police car was empty. I turned onto the side street that was past the bank and I threw up in the little green trash can. I took the side street down and turned left onto North Park, made the first left and went halfway down and parked. No plans, no stopwatch, no ski mask, no gun. Because I didn't like shit like this, I didn't give a fuck about doing it the proper way. Emily was sick and all it was was I had to rob the bank or go to jail and I could say I had tried. I figured the best thing would be to just go ahead and do it so I could find out what was going to happen. I got out of the car and started moving that way, stopping once to vomit on a tree lawn. When I got to the bank, I took a look around for the policeman who belonged to the police car, and I saw the policeman walking half a block up, and he turned to go into a bar. Now would be fine. The bank was busy, but there were many tellers and the line moved quickly. I took the envelope out of my pocket and examined its contents. I had to puke. I unbuttoned the top button on my shirt and kind of pulled my peacoat over and threw up down my shirt. The lady behind me asked me if I was all right. I said, yeah, just a sneeze. I threw up again. I think you're really sick. No, no, I'm fine, I said. Man, I keep sneezing. I was called to the counter. I took a piece of paper out of the envelope and unfolded it and handed it to the teller. I received this in the mail yesterday. The teller read the note. Then she put some money on the counter. I took the money and the note, and I left. Once I was in the street, I started running. I turned the car around and threw up all over myself and drove to North Park. If I made a right, I'd be in Cleveland proper in about 20 seconds. If I made a left, I'd be where rich people lived. I took a left and drove through Cleveland Heights. I laughed when I got away. When I passed Lee Road, I knew I was home free. It was as if nothing had happened. I got home and Emily and the dog were on the couch. Emily had her eyes closed. I walked into the living room and got all the money out of my pockets. We need to get some dope right now. She said, you're such a badass. I called Raoul and said I'd like to meet up with him immediately. He said he'd meet me at the subway at Mayfield in Warrensville. I got changed and Emily and I hit the road. Raoul was actually on time for a change. Emily got in the back seat. I was so glad that I wasn't in jail and that we had lots of money. I bought all the heroin that he had in his pockets, seven grams. Raoul got out and Emily and I got off in the car. Big motherfucking shots we did, and our hearts were beating their wings slowly. We were saved. We felt like angels must feel like. Seeing as we were both hungry, we went to Subway and ordered some sandwiches. We ordered big. We even bought some of those cookies they have by the register. I tipped the sandwich artist $20. He said he liked my t-shirt. Emily and I shot a fuckload of dope that night. We weren't worried. We knew we'd have it all next week, and the week after, and maybe the week after that. I got a call from Joe. I hadn't heard from Joe in over a year. I said, Joe, how the fuck are you doing? It's so fucking good to hear from you. Did you, uh, rob a bank today?
No. Why? They've got a picture of a guy who looks a lot like you on the news, and he robbed the bank. Oh. Man, that's weird. No, yeah, that definitely wasn't me. Strange. Huh. Hey, man, uh, I've got to go, all right? Okay, yeah, listen, I'm going to call you, though. Okay, later. The news was over, so I went online. One of the stories on the homepage of the local news channel was about the bank robbery. I clicked on the story and saw a surveillance photo of me that was pretty clear. I may as well have sat for an oil painting. I'm going to jail, I said. Emily looked at the picture. Holy shit. I'm fucked, I said. Shit. Fuck. Fuck. But who the fuck watches the Saturday local news broadcast? Nobody, right? No. No, I'm all right. Look, it says they're looking for a guy who's 6'3". I'm 5'11". Fuck. Look at that fucking picture, though. But you can't really tell it's me, can you? I shot half a gram of heroin to calm myself down. I looked at the picture again. No, I said. We're all right. Getting rid of the money wasn't going to be a problem. Our rent was past due and we owed $1,100. 11 plus the 1700 plus the 500 I owed pistol and the 500 I owed black. That was 38 right there. That just left 35 and that would be gone in three weeks. I slept well for the first time since I couldn't remember. Sunday, I woke up and did a nice sized shot of heroin. I rolled out of bed and went down to the kitchen, cooked up the shot, and put it in a vein on top of my left foot. It itched some. The actual getting high part of heroin was fine so long as you had a tolerance. It was more or less safe as milk like that. The first twenty seconds were quite fine, especially when you were getting off first thing in the morning. The only thing better than the first shot in the morning was the first shot after you'd been sick for a day or two. In those instances, the 180-degree turn from abased wretchedness to resplendent consolation was something like a miracle. The dope came up from my foot, the rush came on, and my blood sang nicely with it, my brain humming away. I sat in my blue chair and smoked the Pall Mall and thought about my problems. I called Raoul and told him I wanted to buy half an ounce of heroin— he said he was an Akron, but he could do it when he got back, and he'd call me as soon as he did. I took a shower and put on my cleanest clothes and drove out to visit my parents. My dad was in a good mood that day for some reason, I couldn't have guessed at, and my mom was trying to be cheerful and fussed over me, and I felt bad. I was uncomfortable in comfortable places. Nice people looked so nice when you were on heroin. How's school? my mom asked. It's okay, I said. Most of my professors are all right. One of them's a prick, but the other three are good. Well, I'm glad that things are looking up, she said. I said I was doing good as far as my GPA, better than I'd done in a while. How much more do you have to do? My dad asked. I can get done in three semesters. I might have a credit hour or two left after that, but not much. My mom asked if I was staying for dinner. I said I was. My dad cut up some leftover roast beef for their dogs. My mom did the dishes. I did never have to do the dishes since I got back from Iraq. My mom thought I was a hero. I wasn't. But then I didn't try to correct her. 
Not that I wanted to lie by omission about being a hero, I just didn't want to have to explain anything. It was dark when I drove home. I shot the last of my heroin. Emily and I had done three and a half grams apiece in a little over 30 hours. $700. Raul didn't get back from Akron until 10 o'clock. He called me from his girl's apartment and said he had what I'd asked him for. I got the money together and I went out to see him. I called him when I got there. He came down. He got in on the passenger side. Any of your people watch the local news, I asked. No? Why? They had a picture of me on there last night. It was very clearly me. I didn't watch it. Yeah, it's just got me worried. I robbed a guy at an ATM machine once, he said. They had a picture of me on the news, but they never caught me. That was comforting. I said, I figured it's probably not a big deal. If I don't hear about it in the next couple days, I'll never hear about it. I can't be doing this shit, though. This shit's just too fucking dumb. You got that half? Yeah, I got it, he said. This shit's supposed to be pure fire. Be careful with it. I bought it down in Akron today. That's what I was doing. It's double bagged because it stinks like straight heroin when you open it up. I didn't check the bag. I had done right by him. We had robbed some shit together. I had bought a lot of grams from him. I figured if he was going to rip me off, he'd have done it already. When I got home, I found out I'd paid Raul $1,300 for half an ounce of instant mashed potatoes. I called him. I said, Raul, you know this is instant mashed potatoes, don't you? I'll make it up to you, he said. And he hung up. Emily said, what are you going to do? Realistically, there's nothing. You're going to let him get away with that shit? Yeah, pretty much. Those guys don't respect you. No, I don't imagine they do. Still, you'd think just on principle of human decency he'd have had better manners than that. You should fucking kill that motherfucker. Eh. I had a theory. My theory was that I was a piece of shit and deserved it when bad things happened to me. Was I bitter? A little, of course. But a loss was a loss. You didn't ever get it back. Even if you recouped the money, the injury was still done. What was best was to write it off. So long as you didn't give a fuck, you had them beat. Only a thirsty, no-account fucking loser would resort to such tricks as selling a half ounce of instant mashed potatoes, so why countenance it? Countenancing it wasn't about to put dope in our veins. Morning would come soon, on its heels would ride the sickness. Moves had to be made. It was almost midnight. I called Black. No answer. I called Pistol. He picked up. Sorry to be calling so late, I said, but if you could come through, I'd take four right now for your trouble. He said he couldn't do it. It's been dead out here all day. Shit, well, hit me up whenever you get things together tomorrow. I'll take four for sure. All right. Ryder's phone went straight to voicemail. Nobody got on again until Tuesday, and we were sick, sick, sick. Chapter 64 Raoul had said he was going to give me back some of the money he'd ripped me off for. He was going to pay me back in heroin, which was fine because if he gave me cash, I'd just spend it on heroin anyway. Six of one, half dozen of the other. It was night. He called and said his kid was in the hospital and he was going to be running a little late. 
and he was either on the way to or from the hospital when he was pulled over. He called me again. It was hard to hear him. I'm about to get arrested, he said. They're searching my car right now. Go to my mom's house and tell her I got locked up. The line went dead. I put my coat on and left. I was at Raul's mom's house ten minutes later. I knocked on the side door. Nobody answered, so I kept knocking. Eventually, she opened the door. I said, sorry to bother you, ma'am, but Raul called me a few minutes ago and said he was getting arrested. He asked me to come and tell you. Okay. When I talked to him, he said the police were searching his car and they were going to find some heroin. Okay. Let me know if there's anything I can do. Sure, thanks. She closed the door lightly and then locked it. Pistol pulled into the driveway. I walked up to his car. He opened the driver door. What are you doing here? I told him what happened to Raul. Pistol didn't say anything. I said, do you have one you could spot me until tomorrow? I left in a hurry and I didn't bring any money with me. I'll definitely have you tomorrow, though. He didn't say anything. He weighed out a gram. I said thanks and I walked to the curb where I was parked and I got in my car and drove away. I thought about my theory again. Let me know if there's anything I can do. I was a real asshole. I'd been at those people's house trying to act like I was worried about Raul when the truth was, I couldn't give so much of a fuck about a guy who wouldn't have pissed on me if I were on fire, and they knew that. I thought, was I just being polite? And the answer was no, I was just being full of shit. What a fucking ghoul I was. And then I didn't know what their fucking problem was either, how they'd both acted like it was my fault, and that's how it is. The very same who bleed you dry and fuck you are as bitter toward you as if you were getting over on them. And they're half right, and they're half wrong. This is what we do to each other. Chapter 65 Ryder said he knew a bank in Bath, Ohio, that would be perfect to rob. This was more of Ryder's bullshit, like I'd forget he wanted me to kill a guy in Bath for him. He really thought we were going to drive out to Bath, and I'd say, Okay, Ryder, where's the bank? And he'd say, Change of plans, we're gonna go murder this nigga instead. Ryder was a piece of shit like that. I told Ryder he could drive if he wanted, but I was going to rob a bank downtown. I went to pick him up in the morning. He was with Pistol. Pistol had brought a pistol for me, and he spotted me two grams of heroin. I said I'd bring him some money in the afternoon. It was a school day, and Emily was over at the school, and I wanted to make sure she got her share of the heroin in case I went to jail. So we stopped there first. She came out of the main classroom building and met us in the parking lot across the street. I asked Ryder to let her have the front seat, and he did. Is it good? she asked. I haven't done any yet, I said. Pistol calls it gun smoke. Gun smoke? That's what he calls it. Emily and I shot up. The heroin was tremendous. It was black in the syringe. Well, I said, that's really fucking nice. He must have made a mistake. Mmm. Emily sighed. This is some good shit. I lit a cigarette and said I should be going. I'll pick you up tonight. Okay, she said. Be careful. I will, my love. Have a good afternoon. 
Ryder said we were the coolest white people he had ever met. Emily went back to school and Ryder asked to borrow my phone real quick. I gave my phone to him. Somebody picked up and Ryder said, hello? Yeah, right now. Yeah, I'm about to do it right now. He was trying to sound like he was fine with it, even happy about it, but you could tell he was scared as shit. When he got done with the phone, I asked him if he was sure he was good, and he said he was. I dug around in the back seat looking for something to wear. Ryder got in the driver's seat. I lit another cigarette and told him I was ready. I'd put on some Adidas track pants and a black fleece jacket and a balaclava. He said, You look mentally ill. I said, I am. Let's go. The bank was only a few blocks west. We parked across the street out front and down a ways facing east. Keep the doors unlocked, I said. I'll be back in less than two minutes. I crossed the street. The pistol was in my waistband and neither of the two pairs of pants I was wearing was having an easy time staying up. So I only had one free hand. I went into the bank and moved to the counter. The bank was empty except for one teller, a woman, and two men, the manager and a client. I ignored the two men. They ignored me. They were talking business. I gave the note to the teller. She tossed some ones banded to a fifty onto the counter. I looked at her. She had a fat face, and she glared at me with little red pig eyes. Her name tag said Sheena. I said, Sheena, don't be ridiculous. You're better than that. She cleared out the cash drawers, and I was feeling an ocean of sympathy for her. There were oceans inside of me. It wasn't her fault. She had little pig eyes. I knew that. You get the eyes you get. You don't have any say in it. We were on the freeway, and Ryder wanted to see the money. I started going through it and counting the bands and fanning out the loose bills and handing him half as I went along. He kept saying, Give me more. Give me more. Give me more. There was a lot of traffic. We were as good as gone. Things were going well. Then Ryder changed into the exit lane. Stay on the freeway, I said. Take it to 271. But he wasn't hearing me. Stay on the freeway, Ryder. What the fuck are you doing, man? Don't get off here. He ignored me. Stay on the fucking freeway, man. He got off the freeway. Three exits down from where we had got on. And there was a police car rolling up at the bottom of the ramp. Ryder started screaming, Oh, fuck! Oh, fuck! No! No! I said, God damn, stay cool, man. Just go slow. We have nothing to hide. We're just minding our own business. He won't chase us if we don't run on him. Look, we're cool. He's just sitting there. We're cool. Just go slow. Don't run on him. The police car stood still. Ryder was hyperventilating. We drove through the intersection. Then he veered onto a residential street that ran off of Superior. Three quarters of the way down, he threw the car into park. What's up? I asked. Ryder's eyes were coming out of his head. He started screaming again. No, 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 fuck this. I'm gone, I'm gone. He got out of the car and walked away. I thought he had acted strangely. I didn't see what his fucking problem was. I thought the best thing to do would be to get back on the freeway, so I did. I rode 90 east to 271. I smoked palm oils and set fire to the little bands from the money and dropped them in the ashtray. It was an okay time. The gun smoke still had me good. I wasn't worried about anything. 
I got off the freeway at Chagrin, and I got some burgers at the Wendy's there, and I went home and took Lavinia out and fed her. I called Pistol and said I had his money together. He told me to go ahead and come around. Do you have three and a half I could get? He said no problem. When I met up with him, I didn't say anything about Ryder being a pussy. I didn't want to embarrass Ryder, plus I thought he might shoot me if I told anybody about how he'd acted. It wasn't the sort of thing he'd want people to know. I paid Pistol the money I owed him for the three and a half grams and gave him the clothes I'd worn during the robbery and asked him to get rid of them for me. I gave him back the pistol. I gave him $500 for his trouble. Chapter 66 I'd get sad as fuck when I thought about Emily and how I wasn't going to be there for her because I was going to jail soon. I wondered what would happen to her and what she would do. And we were sad when she found the abscess in her arm. Her forearms were swollen. There was all this shit in her right arm. She was pushing it out, and she said, Look, it was like dirt. We cleaned it out and treated it with alcohol many times, and the abscess got better, but she was frightened and ashamed, and it was terrible. I thought, my poor angel. I don't know. I could have still not gone to jail. It was mid-March, and I'd robbed something like seven or eight or nine banks and hadn't yet been arrested. I don't think anybody cared, the police, I mean. This was just kid stuff, what I was doing. All it took was that you realized there was nothing stopping you, and then you wet your beak. Still, you knew the police were fucking dangerous. I think maybe I was about to give up. Ryder said, the nigga's some shit. My dude's baby's mom and his son live with that nigga and he beats the shit out of them. Ryder was trying to appeal to my sense of white boy chivalry so I'd go kill the bath guy for him. Going on five months, he'd been trying to talk me into killing this guy. I said, why doesn't your dude call the police or child protective services or something? Because the nigga's got control of that bitch. She won't say anything against him. She's a fiend. He's got her on that shit. You mean heroin? Ryder looked out the passenger window. Why doesn't your dude just do it himself? I asked. It would save him some money. Because they'll know he did it. That's why we need you. You don't know the nigga from Adam, so they won't be able to link you to him. The baby started yelling in the back seat. Ryder turned around and told the baby to shut up. Shut up, little nigger, he said. Ryder had brought the baby with him. The baby wasn't two years old. It couldn't even talk. It wasn't Ryder's baby. Ryder said the baby belonged to a bitch he was fucking. Ryder hadn't said anything about a baby. I'd called him looking for heroin, and he'd said he had some, so I'd gone to meet him. I'd parked out front of some apartments and called him, and he'd come out with this baby and got in the car, and he didn't have any heroin. I was crushed. He said, I have to go to Varsity Blue real fast. Varsity Blue was a clothing store where they sold jerseys and sneakers and track suits. They didn't sell heroin at Varsity Blue, but it wasn't far, just down Superior. I parked and Ryder went into the store. He left me with the baby and the baby was crawling all over the place. The baby grabbed my lighter out of the cup holder and tried to chew on it. I took the lighter back and said, you probably don't want to do that. You don't know where it's been. 
The baby made a real serious face and thought about this. Ryder was in the store almost an hour, and he didn't buy anything. He came out of the store looking pissed off. He was pissed off because he was a fucking loser. I was a fucking loser, but Ryder was worse. He got in, and I drove across the street to the McDonald's and bought the baby some french fries. Ryder tried to call some people, but nobody picked up. I said, now what? He said, drive over to Claire. I did. We went up a ways, and he told me to park in front of a convenience store. He went inside for an hour and came out and told me it was dead. Then I got a text from Pistol. Where are you? Claire. What did you want to do? Three. Belmar and Twenty. This was good. Ryder's mom lived on Belmar. I could leave him and the baby there. Meanwhile, Ryder was talking and I wasn't listening, and he was saying he wanted me to take him over to the west side and he could get me some heroin over there. Can't do it, I said. I've got to run up to Belmar. But I just talked to my partner over there. He says he's got that fire. You just said it was dead. I meant it's dead on the east side. I'm meeting Pistol over on Belmar. Drive me to the west side first. No, can't do it, sorry. It won't take long. It'll take hours. Everything you do takes hours. You do nothing, and it takes you hours. What about the $300 you owe me? I paid you that shit already. You didn't pay me. I don't have time for this. Why would I lie about 300 petty-ass dollars, he said. I spend that shit on lunch, nigga. I spend that shit on lunch. I put the car in gear. Ryder grabbed my arm. What? You want to have a fist fight with a fucking baby in the car? What are you, fucking nuts? Ryder didn't move. I said, I've got $400 on me. I have to give 360 to Pistol. I don't know what to tell you. You can fuck that up or I can drop you and the baby off on your street. You're making me late. I'm about to be in a bad way. Emily's about to be in a bad way. I've got to get this heroin fast and I've got to take it over to her at school. That's what I've got to do right now. I've looked out for you before, and you know that. But I can't write at this moment, so I'm asking you as nicely as I know how. Please spare me this bullshit today. I've got a lot on my mind, but call me when you get this other thing together tonight. We'll do that for sure. My dude's got the money for you as soon as you get it together. He calmed down some. He just wants one zone? Yeah, I think so. But if it's right, he'll get more. When I saw Pistol, he said Raul might be getting out soon. I said that was good, and I got well, and I went up to the school, and Emily got well. That evening, Ryder called and said he had picked up. I went to see him, and he had four ounces of coke on him. I tried some of it, and it was right. I said if he gave me the one ounce, I'd run it up to my dude and bring him back $900. But he said no. It'll save me a trip. I said, it's the same dude as last time, he's good for it. Ryder said he couldn't front me that much. He needed the cash up front. I knew he was just saying that because he wanted to step on the coke before we met up again. But there was nothing I could do, I needed the money. If I didn't get money, I got sick. Time was working against me. Motherfuckers knew that. That's how they get over on you. I said I'd get the money. I called James Lightfoot, he told me to come through. I did, and he gave me a thousand dollars. Then Ryder wasn't picking up his phone. Two hours later, he called me back. I met up with him, and he gave me the coke. 
I took the coke to James's house. The coke was fucked now. Ryder hadn't just stepped on it, he'd murdered it. That was Ryder. I was thinking James thought I had ripped him off. Who the fuck is this guy? He asked. He's a piece of shit, I said. Then why do you fuck with him? That was a good question. I didn't have a ready answer for it. All I could say was I felt like shit about it. Anyway, James took it easy on me. He didn't give me a hard time about the loss he took, even though it was my fault. He already knew I was a fuck-up. He knew that I'd fuck up, but I wouldn't rip him off. As it stood, James and I needed money, and I knew one way of getting it. Chapter 67 James was in the driver's seat. I was in the passenger's seat. I was well. I was wearing an Indian's hat and eating an apple. James said, There might be cameras on the light poles. I said, I've been looking, and I haven't seen any. Are you sure? Pretty sure. I don't think they get many robberies out this way. It should be all right. We were parked in front of the Whole Foods. I had a good view of the bank. I had a gun. It wasn't my gun. I forget who had given it to me. Funny thing about guns. If you're known to rob things, people will just give you guns. It's kind of like sponsoring missionaries. I discarded the apple. I said, you ready? James said he was ready. All right. When you see me come out, start driving toward the exit over there. I'll walk through those two rows of cars and I'll get in and we'll go. Too easy. Okay, he said. Just remember that the back driver's side door is broken. Okay. I fixed the hat so it was low over my eyes and I got out of the car and walked into the bank. It was the first warm day of the year and the door of the bank was open, so I went in and went about robbing it. But this didn't go well. I got the first drawer, but then the teller got to being obstinate and the manager wouldn't shut the fuck up. He kept telling me to take my hat off, calling me sir the whole goddamn time, and when I didn't take my hat off, he hit a button. I didn't know what the button was about. I figured it was a silent alarm. Then I looked behind me and saw the door was closing on its own. Hydraulics, I guess. The bank was full of people. This motherfucker was trying to lock me in with them. The people were all looking at me now, looking at me trying to rob this bank. I could see they were thinking, is this all there is to it? I didn't want to disappoint them. I pulled the gun and put three shots into the ceiling. Bam, bam, bam. I don't even want your fucking money. Bam, bam, two more on the roof. I walked to the counter and pointed the gun at the manager. He either had pissed or was in the act of pissing. I said to him, open the fucking door, you bitch, or the next one goes in your face. Just go, he said. The door was free. I walked out. I walked off the curb and through the two rows of cars in the parking lot. James was pulling around. I grabbed the handle of the back driver's side door and pulled it, but the door wouldn't open. I kept pulling. I knocked on the window. I said, unlock the shit. James said, it's fucking broken. Right. I scrambled around the back of the car and got in on the front passenger side. James hit the gas and we were gone. What the fuck happened? Did you shoot somebody? Fuck no. I was counting the money. Fuck. 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 I didn't do so good, James. Those people were very fucking rude in there. They tried to lock me in the fucking bank. That's never happened before. How much did you get? He asked. Two thousand-ish? Shit. 
I know, man, I'm sorry, it was no good. The fucking manager was yelling at me, this old cunt didn't give a shit if everybody died, it was fucking bad. Not at all how they're supposed to act, really reckless of them, over pieces of paper. I gave James half the money. I'm sorry, man. It's all right, he said. At least we got away. Yeah, fuck. I've got to break this gun down and get rid of it. That afternoon, Emily and I went to the dog park with Lavinia. The weather had been lovely all day. It seemed it was a good day to go to a dog park, and it would have been if it weren't for the other dogs. The other dogs fucked with Lavinia. They ganged up on her and chased her around and got on her back and drooled on her and nipped her. I don't like this shit at all, Emily said. A chow was in the act of dominating Lavinia. I think she's all right, I said. I don't know. I think it's how they play, but I can't tell. Does she not like it? I get so worried. Fuck, fuck, fuck. Well, I don't fucking like it, Emily said. I think we should stop bringing her here. I think it scares her. But she gets so excited when we bring her here. It's not bad when there's no other dogs. I like it when it's just the three of us out here. Lavinia got up and broke free, and she was off and running. She was always the fastest dog at the dog park, and she was hard to catch, but the ground there was deep with ugly pea gravel, and it inevitably tripped her up, and the other dogs would catch her. There were just too many dogs, and they'd corner her. Another couple came over to us. Nice dog, said the woman. She's pretty and so fast. Thanks, said Emily. Which one's your dog? The chow. Oh, he's a frisky little guy. Do you live around here? We live in University Heights, Emily answered. What do you do? I didn't like that. I disliked what do you do, people. What kind of people were these? We go to CSU, Emily said, blushing. I'm a graduate assistant there. Do you go to CSU too? She asked me. I knew what she was thinking. You look a little old for that. Yeah, I said. I got started late, G.I. Bill. You were in the military? The man asked. Yeah. What branch? Army. You go overseas? Iraq. Jeff's a cop, said the woman. Cleveland Heights Police Department, he said. Come here, Lavinia, Emily called. Come here, girl, come here. How do you like it? It's a job, he said. Yeah, a job's pretty hard to come by these days. You're lucky. Lavinia came running, and she stood between Emily's legs. Emily asked her who was a good girl. I lit a cigarette. It was a nice day today, wasn't it? The woman agreed that it had been a nice day. What do you guys think of this dog park, I asked. Do you think it's sanitary having all these dogs shit and piss all over this pea gravel? It seems like, you know, with grass or something, it would absorb it, process it all. But with this gravel... Where's it all go? Just gets churned up in the gravel, I imagine. I know you pick up the shit when they shit, but there's still the residue. It can't be healthy, can it? It has to build up over time. Do you think there's such a thing as cholera for dogs? It was dusk. The air was cold all of a sudden. Jeff went to pick up some dog shit from the chow. We have to be going, said Emily. I have a paper I've got to finish. It was nice meeting you. Chapter 68 I was in a cold sweat. 
I was driving. Raoul and Emily were in the car with me. Raoul had gotten sentenced for the heroin. The hearing had been that Monday. It was Tuesday. Raoul said the judge had let him out because it was his birthday that week. He'd ordered Raoul to turn himself in on Friday so he could go to prison. Raoul would be gone for a year and a half. Possession with intent to distribute. It seemed like a long time to me, but I didn't know anything. Emily and I needed to find some heroin. We'd been sick for two days. Raoul was having no luck helping us. He was calling everyone he knew. No one was picking up. Probably because he was going to prison, he was making people nervous. I was throwing up in the little green trash can. I was always careful to keep an eye on the road when I did this. Emily said, hang in there, baby. Something's got to come through soon. It's been too long. I'm right as rain, I said, and wiped the vomit off my chin with the back of my hand. Close enough for rock and roll. Raoul didn't give any sign that he minded my vomiting in the little green trash can while I was driving. He just sat there, calm, as if nothing foul were transpiring. It was polite of him. Hold on, he said. Here we go. A silver Mitsubishi Gallant pulled out in front of us. Pull up beside that car, he said. I did, and Raoul rolled the window down and waved at the Gallant. He's about to turn, he said. Get behind him and follow him. The Gallant turned off St. Clair and onto a side street and pulled over. The passenger got out and came up to Raoul's window. I held up seven $20 bills and said, I got one forty on a gram if you can help me out. I'm kind of desperate right now, you know. After saying this, I realized I might have fucked up Raoul's percentage, but then I needed to get this done, so fuck it. If Raoul wanted a cut, he could get it from them. Plus, it wasn't like he didn't owe me money, and it wasn't like I was ever going to see a dime of that shit. The passenger said, all right. He said to follow. He got back in the gallant, and it went on. We followed it around a few streets. Raoul's phone rang. He picked up and said, all right, and he turned to me and said, pull over, park here. The gallant went up a little farther ahead and stopped. The passenger got out again and walked down the middle of the street with his hands cupped over his mouth. Then a kid came out from around the back of a house and went out into the street to talk to the passenger. They talked, and the kid went back, and the passenger turned and waved to Raoul. Raoul said, give me the money. He got out of the car and walked up to the gallant and got in the back seat. That was so cool, Emily said. Did that guy do a little bird call? I agreed, it was cool. These guys don't fuck around, I said. I wish they were our dope boys. It wasn't two minutes and the kid was back with the heroin. He dropped it off in the gallant and went on his way. Raoul got out and brought it to us. The gallant drove off. I took the scale out of the armrest and put a card on the scale and zeroed it. I put the heroin on the card. I said to Emily, it's one over. Beautiful, she said. It smells like fire, too. And we got off. The heroin was good, very good. Not stepped all over like the dope we were accustomed to buying, the dope we were accustomed to selling our souls for. I said, holy fuck. It was hitting me hard like it used to. Emily said, hot damn. It was hitting her hard, too. I said to Raoul, I don't suppose you'll give me these dudes' number. They told me not to, he said. 
I didn't believe him. But whatever. Chapter 69 It was Raoul's idea to rob the bank at Warrensville in Mayfield. He wanted to put some money up before he went to prison. We were headed to the bank, Raoul, Ryder, James, and I. I was hoping that with three inside, we'd take a lot more money and somebody could mine the doors, which would be a must as we were unarmed. I had asked James if he wanted to drive. I thought it was going to turn out better than it did. I wasn't worried about what James would do. I wasn't worried about Raoul either. I was mostly just worried about what Ryder would do. Ryder didn't handle pressure well, but he was Raoul's boy and I was hoping Raoul's presence would give him courage. There were bad signs from the start. We were driving around the bank and checking things out and I wanted to see it from the other side of the street. Let's just do it, Raoul said. No, I said. Let's take another look. We crossed Mayfield on Warrensville. We were heading south, and I could see the parking lot behind the buildings that were across the street from the bank and four police cars parked in the lot. They were all of them facing the same way, ready to roll out. Look at that shit, I said. You see? We'd have been fucked. What am I doing? James asked. I said, just keep driving straight. We ended up driving over to Belmar, and we tried to rally there. James traded Ryder an ounce of loud for a few grams of heroin. I took Raoul aside. I said, what about this shit Ryder's always talking about in Bath? That's a lot of money. What do you mean? You know, killing that guy. He said, that's some bullshit. And figures. That dude out in Bath is a state's witness. Huh. Yeah, he's a witness in a case against a nigger Ryder owes 14 racks to. Man. That rider's no good. So what's up? James asked when we got back to the car. Are we doing anything or what? Ryder said he needed to go to Severance. I said I thought we could rob a bank on Chagrin Boulevard. James said that would be fine. Those of us who were junkies shot some heroin. We headed out and dropped Ryder off. I was glad to be rid of him. We got to Chagrin and looked at two different banks and decided on the one that was in a shopping center. It was a newer bank, and I was sure that it would have man-trap doors. I said to Raoul, when we're leaving, it's important that we hold the doors open. If we get caught between the doors going out, they'll lock us in and we'll go to jail, and it will be a terrible thing. So, I'm going to hold the inside door open while you get the door to the outside. Then you hold that one open, and we go out together. This is very important. I got you, he said. I said to James, let us out on the sidewalk. We walk there, and you pull into the parking lot without us. That way nobody will notice you till it's over. We drove up and down the street once more so as to have time to smoke a last cigarette. Then James pulled around and led us out at the curb. It was in the mid-forties outside, nowhere near cold enough to warrant all the winter shit that Raoul and I were wearing. I had on James's frock coat and his shaker high school ski cap and his neck warmer. Raoul was wearing a parka and a balaclava that covered his whole face like he was a ninja. We were halfway across the parking lot. You good? I heard a muffled affirmative. We got to the door, and I had pulled the neck warmer up so it covered the lower half of my face. I went in saying, Attica, 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 Attica! Raoul wasn't saying shit. I looked over my shoulder, looked over the other shoulder. Raoul wasn't there.
I looked back at the bank employees. They looked at me. I said not to tell anyone. I turned around and walked out. Raoul was in the back seat of the car. James had waited for me. I said, let's go. We got out onto Chagrin. I said, Raoul, what the fuck are you doing to me? That was fucking embarrassing. James said, fuck. I turned around and saw police cars a little ways off in the oncoming lane. I said, pull over. What? Pull over to the side of the road. Just do it. Raoul lied down. James pulled off to the side of the road. The police came on and they went by. James said, shit. I said, that's what they always do. But seriously, Raul, what the fuck? How could you do that? That was fucking infamous. Raul said he was sorry. I said, forget it. I know another bank we can rob. James said, you want to try this shit again? I said, I did. I said, Raul, do you still want to rob a bank today? He said he did. Are you sure, though? He said he was sure. I said, all right, let's go. James said, fuck it. We parked on Van Aken. We were up at Shaker Square. I said, Raul, you go in first and I'll follow ten seconds after you. James, when we go in, you go around the curb to the right and we'll get in around the corner. Raul, are you ready? Give me a minute, he said. James said, are you going to do this fucking shit or not? Raul said, you want to do this? James called him a pussy. Fucking pussy. Everybody calm the fuck down, I said. Let's not argue. So James and Raoul made peace, and James let Raoul have his sunglasses to better hide his eyes. We drove up alongside the bank. All right, I said. Raoul, you go ahead. I'll be right after you. Count on it. Raoul got out and walked into the bank. I counted to five and said, well, here I go. I went in the bank, and Raoul was standing with his back against the back wall. He was standing across from the counter. There was only one teller. It was a small bank. The teller was looking at Raoul, and she looked scared because he was dressed up like a ninja in a parka, and it was forty degrees outside. Then Raoul ran. He ran past me and out of the bank. I was so goddamn depressed. The teller's drawer was open, and I leaned over the counter and cleared the money out of it. On my way out, I passed a man coming in, and he pretended that he didn't notice me. Out on the sidewalk, I went the wrong way at first, then I remembered what I'd told James to do, and I went around the corner. Raoul wasn't in the car. Where's Raoul? I asked. James said, fuck, I don't know. Shit. James started to drive away. I took a breath. We can't leave him. We have to look for him. James shook his head no and said, Okay. He turned the car around and we looked for Raoul. We were going at parade speed and it was a fuckload of people around, so this wasn't good. But James kept his cool. We were out there forever, but he didn't panic. And Raoul came running from behind us and got in the back seat and said, Go, go, go! We drove away. How much did you get? I don't know, I said. Count it. I gave the money to Raoul. He counted it. Thirteen hundred. You didn't get anything? He said no. I didn't care about what happened to the money. I think Raoul kept all of it. I didn't ask. I was tired of everything. This had nearly been curtains for me, and I felt like a fucking purse snatcher. 
James called later and said Raoul had tossed his sunglasses away when he was running from the bank. James said he had paid $300 for those sunglasses. I went over to his place and gave him $300. I had lost $300 on the bank robbery. And with his sunglasses money, James had broke even, minus the gas and a balaclava, which he had written off as negligible. Chapter 70 It was Sunday morning. Emily and Lavinia were asleep in the bed, and I listened to them breathing, their little clicks and drafts, and the light glowed through the drawn shade. It would be a fine day, and I knew it just as well as anyone did. When you have been afraid for a long time, you see how fear will come and go, how fear will overtake you, how fear will subside, how fear guts you for a moment, how hope puts you back together till the fear comes back, then the hope, then the fear. I was only ever afraid of one thing in my life, and that was heroin. There'd been a dozen witnesses the other day, Somebody had to have got the plates off James's car with all the running around and the frock coats and the parkas and the bank being robbed. Raoul had left his fucking mask outside the bank. We were fucked. Yet, I was still free. I went downstairs and I called Black. I lit a cigarette. Black said to come on. I drove to the Walgreens over on Monticello. I was thinking about P.F.C. Arnold a kid I knew in Iraq, how the old boys used to say he was a shitbag. Then he got killed and they said he was a good guy and his name was in with the good names, the names of our war dead, and if a shitbag talked bad about the name when the old boys were around, he risked a punch in the mouth. Honestly, I didn't know much about him. I can't say we were friends. They put us in the same room and he lived in the room eight months till he was killed. I helped pack out his things. We spoke now and then, and I'd had nothing against him. He cut my hair a few times. I thought he was all right, but not all the time. He'd been a handsome enough motherfucker, 20, when he was killed, born and raised in Oklahoma, didn't know his dad. His mom had raised him on her own. She was a hooker. He'd tell you that. But he didn't say it like it was a bad thing. He liked his mom. And he was polite, always polite. So polite that when people talked shit to him, they got away with it. Somebody might say, Arnold, you're a retarded shitbag. And he'd blush and look all around himself as if to say, yes, I know. And isn't it wonderful? His wife was a few years older than he was. They knew each other from Oklahoma and had five kids together. Only it was maybe that two of them were his. His wife fucked around on him a lot. But then he fucked around on his wife a lot, too, and it didn't seem to be a deal-breaker for either one that the other was fucking around. They were Wiccans. So was his mom. They were all Wiccans. His mom had come down to Fort Hood before we left for Iraq. It was Halloween. She was dressed up as a cat with the black tights and the little furry ears on. It was nighttime and her hair was black. I met her by the stairs in the barracks. She was smoking a cigarette. She asked if she could use my phone. She was a while on the phone, and I smoked two cigarettes. She said she was sorry she'd taken so long. I said I hadn't noticed she was a cat. She said cats were her familiars. I didn't know what that meant. She said it was a Wiccan thing. 
I still didn't know what it meant. Did they help her do magic? No, it wasn't really like that. It was more like she had a special connection with cats, especially black cats. It was hard to explain. She asked me for a cigarette, and I gave her one. She asked if I had a girlfriend. I said I was getting married in two weeks. She said, I know a lot of guys still mess around, though. I don't judge. I get it. I understand why you guys want to have sex before you go over there. I said I wasn't trying to fuck around on my girl. Sorry. She asked if I knew Arnold. I said he was in my company. She said she was his mom. She couldn't have been much older than 30. I was a child when I had him, she said. Doesn't Arnold live off post? She said, yeah, she had hooked up with some guys, though, and she was partying with them, but they were lamos. She asked if she could use my phone again. When she was on the phone, there was a guy I knew but didn't know. He was wearing JNCOs and a wife beater and a cowboy hat and was skinny. He came outside. She said, I'm on the phone. He lingered, but only a minute. She gave me the phone back. That was one of the lamos, she said. Ugh. Her people took forever to come get her. We went to my room so she wouldn't have to wait outside. She asked if she could smoke. We smoked cigarettes and talked about what kind of music she liked. She liked alternative rock. She borrowed my phone again. Eventually her people came and got her. I waited half an hour, then I jerked off. A few days later, Arnold asked me if I'd had sex with his mom. She said, you're really nice, he said. I said I hadn't had sex with his mom, but I thought she was a really nice lady. Arnold liked that. He was good. It was three guys from 2nd Platoon who had fucked his mom, three guys from 2nd Platoon who had run a train on her. People talked shit to him about that, but Arnold was all right. She made them wear condoms, he said. Then we went over to Iraq, and then some other shit happened and whatever. Soon it was July, and Arnold got killed in July. It wasn't long after he had come back from mid-tour leave. I remember because he had chlamydia and gonorrhea at the time. He had caught the chlamydia off a girl at Camp Liberty when he'd been on his way home, and he'd given it to his wife when he had got there, and his wife had given him the gonorrhea, or it was the other way around. Anyway, he was driving a Bradley out on Route Martha one night, and he ran over an anti-tank mine, which killed him instantly. I wasn't there. I had been across the way on Route Polk then. But Shu had been there, and he told me how it had been fucked up because Arnold was a mess. Shu said he'd looked down into the driver hatch, and it was so bad he couldn't make heads or tails of it. Thus Arnold was a great guy, and everybody said as much which was odd since there had been a lot of people wanting to beat the fuck out of him, and I'll tell you why. Arnold wanted to be a computer genius. He used to say he was going to bring down Bill Gates. Those were his exact words, bring down Bill Gates. That's what he used to say he was going to do. And he came up with a computer virus for practice, I guess. This was when there was an insatiable demand for fuck videos, and Arnold put together a massive file of that shit. Gangbangs, barely legal, cum shots, anal, ass-to-mouth, lesbians, bukkake, milfs, humiliation. And he got his virus on there one way or another and went around talking up this big porno file he had. And he got some guys to download it off him, and those guys shared it with other guys, and soon all the computers began to crash, and the computers were forever worthless after that. 
Nothing could be done for the computers, so a lot of people wanted to beat the fuck out of Arnold. But nobody did. Then he got killed, and they said he was good. And maybe if I had got killed, I'd have always been good. But I'm forgetting. I was waiting in the parking lot at the Walgreens. Black drove up, and he parked, and he got into my car. He fronted me two grams. He was wearing a new tracksuit, Adidas, yellow on purple. I said to him, cool tracksuit. He said, it is, right? He was happy about his tracksuit, and it was an all right tracksuit, and we pretended like we were friends. But we weren't friends. I was just a dope fiend as far as he cared, and for my part, if I ever knew a better way to get heroin, I'd just as soon not see him again. I said, you hear from Raul yet? He said he had. How is he? He's good. Tell him what's up for me, will you? I will. This makes it six, right? Yeah. What about that other thing we were talking about? You still want to do that? Yeah. Okay. What about tomorrow? Tomorrow's good. All right. I'll call you. I took Warrensville back. I went into the house quietly and went upstairs quietly and sat down on the edge of the bed beside Emily. She stirred and murmured. I leaned over and kissed her ear. Guess what? What? I just saw black. Yeah? Guess what else? What else? He's bought himself a new tracksuit. So? So it's purple with yellow stripes and he really likes it a lot. She rolled over and I pressed the bag of heroin into the palm of her hand. Care to weigh it out? Mm-mm. You don't have to do it now on my account, I said. We can wait till later if you want to go back to sleep. Nope, she said. You go ahead and weigh it out. I'll be down in a second. I have to pee. I love you. Mm. I love you too. I went downstairs and split up the dope. It was three light. Never mind, I'd get it back. I put a shot together. There was hope for me yet. Life was good when you were cooking up a shot of dope. In those moments, every dope boy in the world was your friend. You didn't think about the things you'd done wrong and fucked up, the years you'd wasted. I put the needle in my arm. The needle was dull, so it pushed the vein away when it was going in. But the vein couldn't run forever. I felt a little pop, and my blood flashed in the rig. And I sent it home. This is Jeremy Bob. We hope you have enjoyed this unabridged production of Cherry by Nico Walker. This program was directed by Scott Sherritt, executive producer Dan Zid. Text copyright 2018 by Nicholas Walker. Production copyright 2018, Penguin Random House, LLC. All rights reserved.
Lay me down. 